This is Two Guys in a Bible. Welcome, come one and come all, to <laughs> Two Guys in a Bible yeah. with uh, myself. I'm Dylan Keniston here uh, with my co-host, uh, Eric Leupold. How are you doing this I'm afternoon, do, brother? I'm doing great. Yourself? Doing very well. Thank you so much. And I think that this podcast, I mean, today's episode is going to be released pretty close to Christmas Day. Yeah. Um, so by the time y'all are listening to this, uh, we will be uh, singing carols and eating Christmas cookies and uh, and all that, all that and roasting stuff. chestnuts. Roasting chestnuts by an open. I've never fire. done that before, by the way. You haven't. So no. actually, neither have I. You know what we did though? Because Emily and I don't have a, a fireplace at our at where we live right now. So um, we put on the Yule log. You know the Yule log where like it'll just on the TV. On the TV. <laughs> yeah, but you can't roast a chestnut Dude, from a Yule log. No, on but the TV. but like on Netflix, they have like four versions of this like burning log. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> One of them is like well, anyway. So it's That's pretty it's funny. funny. Yeah. So so listen today, what we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, in in line with the season tis the season um when we t- when we think about christmas you know what we're really thinking about is um the son of god the eternal son of god come down and taking on flesh taking on human nature right so we, it's a very timely topic for us to think through um christ's uh dual natures right he has yeah. both a a divine nature um you know he was with he he was himself part uh part of uh agency in creation mm-hmm. um back in back in genesis and likewise um what we see all kinds of examples throughout the old covenant uh where um certainly we we see examples of of what seems to be the sun uh, interacting mm-hmm. with uh, with his creation on a couple of different instances. Yeah. Um, similarly, though, in a new covenant context, he takes on a human nature upon himself. He becomes man, um, and and this is one of the, this is what we're celebrating, right? On on Christmas Day, is that Christ came down to become one of us. He humbled himself, took the form of a servant. I'm jumping the gun here, but. Eric, uh, as we celebrate Christmas, right? Yeah. Just could you talk us through, like, what is the significance of these two natures in Christ, both his divinity and his humanity? Yeah, that's a that's an important topic. In 25 words or less. 25 words or less. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, here's the thing is that, you know, we, we all, as Christians, we would affirm uh, Jesus is fully man and fully God. And that's kind of ingrained in our teaching Sunday school classes, you know, from from a young age, right? So you grow up in the church. Oh, yeah, Jesus is always God, and, and, and he's man, too. And you just kind of, like, acknowledge that this is a fact. But it's interesting how unique this is and how important it is um, for for the Messiah, right? For the, for the Messiah to be both fully man and fully God. And I think... This is the as the culmination. Uh, the coming of Jesus is the culmination of the story of Scripture, and the story of Scripture being that we need a mediator. Basically, the world is broken, uh, messed up pretty badly, and we need someone to fix it. Right, and that that first promise back in Genesis chapter three. So let me um, uh, just read to. Uh, uh, oh, here we go. Uh, the when 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 Adam and Eve eat of the uh, forbidden fruit, there, um, there's a there's a curse that's that God puts on on everyone pretty much. The curse on the ground, the curse on the woman, the curse on the man, and the curse on the serpent, mm. the serpent who deceived. Right. So in Genesis three, fourteen and fifteen, 
Here are God's words to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then later on, uh, Adam will, will call his wife's name Eve. And it says in verse 20, because she was the mother of all living. So there's a, there's a sense in which uh, I think Adam and Eve recognized the promise and that God had made the promise that one day there would be someone who would crush the serpent's head and that this person was going to come through uh, Eve because she's the mother of the living. Hmm. Um, and so this is a, a promise that, that we see faintly, but real, but really in the Old Testament and I think all throughout the Old Testament. So, but the question comes to us now is, you know, why, why both man and God? Why, why both? Why does it have to be that way? And I think the New Testament gives us the most um, um, explicit information on that. But <clears throat> before I get to the New Testament, I'm always struck by the book of Job. And Job. I think Job is, I, would, I almost like to call that book the gospel according to Job. <laughs> because it is, there's so much beauty in there. So first, I want to I want to take you to two places in Job, and if uh, uh, if we can for a second, uh, Job chapter nine, uh, verse thirty three. So I'll give a quick context. I know this is going a little long here, uh, but uh, hopefully bear with me and it'll be good. So the quick context of Job is he's a righteous man, he's blameless. Bad things happen to him. Uh, uh, the, the Satan, the accuser. Uh, uh, is basically allowed to do things to him, uh, and and so he loses everything: uh, children, house, property, um, everything except his wife is is what's is, is lost. And so he is pretty and you know, he's in a pretty bad way. Uh, he's depressed. He's got boils. He's got all these problems. And his friends basically tell him, uh, "All of this is your fault." Uh, if you hadn't sinned, these things wouldn't have happened to you. And Job spends most of the book trying to defend himself and say, I have not sinned. And he gets in some ways dangerously close to saying uh, God is unjust because because I haven't sinned. Mm. Um, and so why are these things happening to me? And if God were here, I would present my case to him. And so in, in chapter 9, and Job is, uh, is saying... Uh, let's see here. Uh, he's kind of talking uh, to God. Uh, he says, I, I become afraid of all my suffering. Verse 28, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? Uh, verse 30, if I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. So he's talking to God here. And then he's saying, or actually, I think he might be talking to his, his friends. But then he talks about God. He says in verse 32, For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. Okay, and he begins to lament this. So he is talking to his friends, and he's lamenting about God. And then he says in verse 33, There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. So he's... He's lamenting his position that there is no one who could stand as a mediator, an arbiter, as a mediator, uh, or an umpire between us who could 
who could lay his hand on both parties. So basically, Job is at odds with God, and he's yearning and desiring for someone to be able to place a hand on both God and place a hand on both him as a, as a man and reconcile the two parties. And it's interesting is that there no one could do that unless they were both God and man. Who can lay a hand on God unless God himself does that, right? And who can lay a hand on man uh, there? And I think uh, later on we see uh, Job pointing out the fact that this mediator is going to be both God and man in Job chapter 19. And here is where I think is the, the gospel according to Job is right here in uh, verse 23 of chapter 19. Here's what Job says. Uh, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. And I'll stop there and point out he's connecting the Redeemer and God. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, at the end, he, the Redeemer, will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed in my flesh, I shall see God. Yeah. So this Redeemer is going to stand upon the earth, and he describes this Redeemer as God, and that he will see this God in the flesh. Uh, that I myself will see um, and not another. So right. it's very interesting how he talks about this Redeemer yeah. being someone who will come to the earth, stand on the earth, and that he will see in the flesh, yeah. which is interesting. And this kind of fulfills that that yearning for that arbiter, that umpire, that can lay a hand on both God and on both man. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think so one of the things we're, we're doing right now, right, is we're really plumbing the depths of a particular Old Testament passage that, that mm -hmm. really does suggest uh, that that the the mediator to come, the redeemer to come, would himself be both fully God and fully man. I think we see that, right, prophesied even in the Old Testament in Genesis, now in Job, many, many other places. It's very yes. rich doctrine. So this is something that's like not new. No. Right? This is something that's like foreshadowed even in the old, even in an old covenant context. Um, I, I think that's fantastic. So so like what are some of the things that we want to when we're thinking about this topic, right? What are some of the yeah. key points that are important from a Christian perspective to hit. And I'm just thinking like, you know, mm. when we say that Jesus was was God, you know, um, we'll say the Son of God, eternal, second person of the Trinity, uh, then took on a human nature. And, and and here now, when he takes on a human nature, does he does he, does he empty himself of any of his <laughs> divinity? Yeah. Right? I mean, because, because hey, he's he's human, right? And, and humans are sinners to err is human. And, you know, I mean, isn't that, that's how many, I think, would, would, would yeah. think. So did he, did he empty himself of his, mm. any of his divinity? Mm -hmm. Um those are, are, are either of the natures compromised in any way? And how do you put that together? What do we call yeah. that? Yeah, it's hard. Uh, so as as Christians, the first thing we have to do is, is look at what Scripture says. Amen. And so this is a, a, a unique thing, right? So we're talking about the, 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 the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so one way to approach something that is so... Uh, unique to us and perhaps in some ways uh, a mystery to us is we need to uh, glean what we can from scripture 
kind of gather the evidence, gather the pieces, and then and then put the puzzle together as best we can uh, in a way that's faithful to, to the text and see where it leads us, right? Mm. And then see where, are there, are there any boundaries that we have to watch out for that we have to maintain? So one, the first passage that I'll, I'll bring up is Philippians chapter 2. You mentioned the emptying of himself. And so Philippians 2 uh, verses 5 through 8 talks about what Jesus has done. So let me read then. All right, two verses, starting in verse five of Philippians chapter two. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we talk about Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So we see a beautiful thing here, and the context is that Peter is encouraging the believer, uh, Peter, sorry, Paul is encouraging the believers to not uh, be conceited or be selfishly ambitious, but to be humble. Because he says in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And then he goes into this description of Jesus and what Jesus has done as the example, right? And so he shows that Jesus had the form of God, but he didn't count equality with God. It's not a thing for him to grasp, but he has to, that he has to clamor for it or grasp for it like uh, so many so many sinful people have done in the past, grasping for God, grasping for deity. In fact, kind of like what Adam and Eve did in the garden, that grasping for the fruit that was not supposed to be theirs, and they were doing it uh, in disobedience to God, and they wanted to be like God, right? But Jesus was not like that. It wasn't something that he had to grasp. Uh, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And as a result of that humility was exalted. And now he's at the right hand of the father there. So he took the form of, of a servant there. And so that's just one passage where we see this concept of, of emptying himself and being born as a man. And so uh, you know, so so that that would be the first passage that I would I would go to there. I think that's really good, and I think what, one of the things that I love this passage and this yeah. this in particular Philippians two is so theologically dense and rich. And if mm-hmm. we just had time to like unpack clause by clause, that would be so much fun. Um, but like, yeah. what, what we see here really is like we have this state of. Uh, being for for the the eternal Son of God, yes, right, and He's high up. He is He is one with. He with already God. exists too. He already exists, yes. right? Pre-existent, one with God, sharing it, uh, all of the glory ascribed to Him. There, then humiliates Himself. So we yes. call this the humili- humiliation of Christ, right? So what yes. we He's He's up high. He comes down low. He comes down, right? So He comes down. He takes on Himself a a, a human nature, yep. right, that He did not have before. That's correct. Right. So now as he's down, he's, he's humiliated himself, taken the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
now humbles himself, right, in the humiliation of Christ. Here is God incarnate come to die on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. Then we see in verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him, right? Mm -hmm. So he's coming back up. So it's like you have the humiliation of Christ, mm -hmm. and then you have the exaltation of Christ. That's right. Right? So we see likewise that that this this body, this human nature that, that Christ took on, he even brings with him into heaven. That's right. Right. So so not to not to remove from himself this human nature again into into eternity. We will yes. always have um, we will always be covered by his yeah. his grace. That's the first point then. The first point is that uh, at one point the Son of God did not have human flesh. Okay, we, we see, obviously, you've you know mentioned before in the Old Testament, there were some pre-incarnate descriptions of, of Jesus. You were thinking of, uh, of the, the, the commander of the Lord's armies that Joshua yep. ends up worshiping, and the commander doesn't stop him from worshiping him. Uh, angels would have done that. They would have stopped a person from worshiping them. And then the fiery furnace, we see someone like the Son of Man walking in and amongst the, uh, uh, the, the, the three friends of, uh, of Daniel. Um, so the first point is this, is that there was a time when Jesus did not have, or the son of God did not have human flesh, but, but at some point in time, he did take upon human flesh. And now he always and forever will have human flesh. Yeah. He'll always and forever be right. the God man. And a couple of, yeah. so a couple of verses to consider on that front, right? Yeah. So number one, we know that Jesus died, right, mm -hmm. and rose again mm -hmm. in the same body in which he died. Yes. Number two, when he ascended, mm -hmm. he ascended bodily. Yes, right, bodily. Okay, yes. so if he's just going to ditch the body, right, yeah. why, why are you ascending? It's not a cloak that it's you just a, throw it's not off. It's just this cloak. Yeah. And uh, elsewhere in Philippians, in Philippians 3, we read that he's going to return and he's going to come back physically, right? He's going to, tr he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Yeah. Right. So um, it, it, there are so many passages that reference this body of glory that mm -hmm. we will be seeing in the, in the resurrection. Um, resurrection of what? Right. Again, resurrection of, yeah. of, of, of like there is a physical resurrection. Yes. Um, so, so, you know, I just think it's really, I, I, I don't know why. To me, it's so um, marvelous to consider that this human nature that Christ took upon himself, he took upon himself forevermore. Yeah. Um, that's, that's remarkable. And then this is something that the early, uh, there's an early uh, a group of heretics called the Gnostics, um, and they came from the belief or they had the belief that material things are by definition Evil, evil and yeah. wrong, right? Yeah. So to them, it was un—it was unthinkable that divine spirit, which is good in their book, uh, would ever join itself to that which is evil in their book, which is the material world, and then that that material body would continue right. in in a glorified state. But the point here is that what we can what we can glean from the human nature is that hum to be human. I want to be very careful when I say this. Humans are sinners. That's true. But human nature, as it was created, was created good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And and so material 
and human nature is not by definition evil. Right. Okay. It's been affected by the fall, but Jesus being human does not make him flawed or evil or sinful. Right. And when he, and so he's in heaven right now in his glorified body and we will be raised as well. And so uh, going, you know, the eternal state is not a state of without body. It's not a bodyless state. We're not, as Christians, we're not, hoping and waiting for the day when we finally become disembodied spirits. Right. Amen. No, we're hoping and waiting for the day that we become fully glorified, resurrected. Yeah. Uh, a body and spirit. Right, right. Right. That's what we're so, talking about. So we know that, right, there's a couple of things to touch on here, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> when, when we think about um, what is the biblical evidence that Christ, uh, th- that when, when Jesus was born that Jesus truly is mm. um, that he truly is God the Son, right? I think a lot of that hangs on John one. The Word became flesh and dwelt yeah. among us. Um, you know, when when the Father's voice comes from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am yeah. well pleased. That's right. um, there's there's a number of passages that we could turn to where where I I just think exegetically it's not defensible to say anything other than Jesus is fully God. Fully God. Right. So I think yeah. that piece we can, we can, I mean, if that's something, Hey, if there's a mailbag with a couple of questions about, um, about Jesus's divinity, we're more than happy to take those. I'm just going to assume that for now. We can yeah. come back to it if we need to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then there's also passages where, where God, where, where Jesus is tr- fully man, right? We see his humanity displayed in the fact that he was born Right. Mm-hmm. He, there, there's passages where he gets tired. Yes. He gets thirsty. He's he gets, hungry. He gets hungry. He sleeps. Right. He he expresses sorrow. He, he's like he he worships his father. Right. Like yeah. there's so many passages that I think theologically can be easy for Christians to get hung up on. So now when we talk about these two natures coming together, this is one of the ways that the church, I think, wisely has handled some mm-hmm. of those passages. Right. We we there is a word for this. It's um, we have called it the hypostatic yeah, union. Yeah, hypostatic union. Yeah. Right. So I, I know kind of big theology word, but bear with us for a second. Hypostatic union. We understand what the word union means. Yeah, exactly. So where does the word hypostatic? Where does – so – How do we get that? What does that mean? Do you want to speak to that? No. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you probably are more prepared on that particular word than I am on that regard. So it's um, from the Greek, the the word hypostatic. Um, and what we're really talking about here is the persons of the Trinity, um, the persons of the Trinity becoming uh, one in nature. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, we I think actually I think we see the word in Hebrews one verse three. Let me just pull that up. I'm not prepared for mm-hmm. this particular passage. I think we do see that. Well, I, I have the passage right do you here. Have Hebrews one three. Yeah, this is a but key I wanna, passage. I want to for... pull up the Greek. Yeah. Uh, you, while you look up the it. Greek, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this passage. So. Here's the cool part about it. I love Hebrews 1. I yeah, love all Hebrews, is. but here's, and for starting in verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, this is talking about Jesus now, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that word nature, right? Yes. So, hypostasis. Uh, uh, so that's the uh, uh, hypostasios. <laughs> my hupostasios. pronunciation is. Yeah, my pronunciation is off. I haven't. 
I haven't Sounds actually like a read good, aloud a good the, dish. the Greek in a while. It does yeah. sound like a good dish. A good meal. So it's a I like to order the hoopo steaks <laughs> you, But 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 this is just the word uh, the word for nature. This is basically just to say that it, it it's a word that is expressing that the union uh, of nature, the, the personal union of Jesus's fully ma- nature of being fully human and the other of being fully divine. Yeah, uh, that's what's what's captured uh, in this word. Yeah, and so when we're talking about the the union of these natures, so one thing, so uh, let's hit on. And then some of the boundaries there. So what we are taught, what we are talking about is, uh, first of all, the human nature. I already mentioned this is not by definition evil or sinful. To, to be to to have a human nature does not mean that you are a sinner. Uh, humans have fallen in sin, like I said. So the human nature is not evil or sinful. So, because if it was, if it was that way by nature, uh, it would not, God would not be able to associate with that. The divine would not be able to associate or, or, or join itself to, to the human in that way. It would be wholly other than God, really. I mean, it'd be contrary to God, you know? So, so that's that right there. Um, and so we're saying that they've been united or joined, but we're not saying that they have been mixed, right? So sure. that gets kind of, so how do I say it this way? Uh, let's say he's not a demigod. Yeah. So we'll go with that one first, right? A demigod would be uh, someone that is kind, is close to God, but not really. Mm-hmm. I'm almost thinking of like a Marvel superhero character, like like the character Thor, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, he can do a lot of cool things, right. but he's still kind of mortal. Like he could still potentially die, mm-hmm. but he's definitely more powerful than a regular human being. Like a souped up human being. Like he's a souped like, up he's human. He's not really able to relate to us human beings, yeah. us mere mortals, right? Like a superhuman. Yeah, like you're combining the two natures, right? That's... That's the problem. That, that's problematic. Right? That's the problematic here. So, so we're not saying that Jesus is a superhuman or that he's a demigod. Uh, no, he's fully God and fully man. Uh, there. So, and and we've already talked about how we understand the deity portion of it. But the question, and and, and then now let's take a look at the human portion. So, staying in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter four talks about what does it mean then for him to be human and divine? Well. Here's what uh, the author of Hebrews says in, in verse 15 of chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So here's the key. He's a human. He can be tempted, right? He's hungry. Satan can come along and say, hey, turn that rock into bread and uh, you'll be fine, right? Uh, and he was tempted to do that. He had the ability uh, to turn uh, uh, rock into bread, but he also had the desire for food. He was hungry, mm-hmm. right? Which is a human, it's a human thing to be hungry. It's not a divine thing. Like God the Father is not hungry. He, he does not require food. Unlike the pagan idols that they would make a statue, right? And the priest would actually feed the little statue like meat, Okay, to feed God, right? Um, so God does not need food to be fed. He does not need drink. He does not need those things. But Jesus, as a human, needed food in order not to die, essentially, right? He would, he, I mean, if without food or water, he would die eventually. So he was tempted. So that's kind of how we're seeing the relationship between the human and the divine uh, there. And, and, and what it meant for Jesus to be human, to be tempted, but yet not to sin. 
Hmm. And that's the, so he was the perfection and the epitome, the pinnacle of human nature there. So I hope that helps address some of the questions uh, or what you were trying to bring up as far as that. Yeah, totally. Goes. And, so, and I think, so why does all this matter, right? Yeah. There's, there's a couple of different things here, right? I think number one it makes it, it preserves. So when we were just talking a minute ago about how Christ's two natures are not mixed together, this is called Eutychianism. But but yeah. but but the reason that's important, right, is quite apart from the fact that Scripture uh, does not allow for that. We can come back to those some of those relevant passages if yeah. you like. But um, it it if we have the two natures admixed, you lose something in the relatability of, of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about that. So the fact that he is, pres- we the fact that his human nature is fully preserved is, results in our worship of him all the more because we can, in one sense, we can relate to him, right? We can identify with him in a way, even even as a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's, that is a glorious truth. Had he not been a human being fully, then we would not be able to fully remate, relate to him as, as human beings. Yeah, um, that's so true. Him, him becoming a man and taking on flesh uh, yeah. is the, his body is the vehicle through which we are we are ultimately saved. That's right. Right. So this is a tremendously important and glorious truth that yeah. that really elevates the soul to worship all, all the more. Yeah, and, and and like I said, that that fulfills that first hand of the umpire. Yeah. Between between man and God, he can place his hand on man because he is yes. man yes. as the as the mediator, right? So and he can do that without sinning. Uh, or falling into uh, temptation, but he was certainly indeed tempted, and he grew. Uh, he he grew in knowledge as a child. He he was certainly instructed by his parents. Um, uh, there he became stronger physically. Uh, there and uh, he learned languages. I mean, he was able to at least speak Aramaic. Uh, he spoke Hebrew. He was able to read the scroll of Isaiah in the temple. And honestly, I think he spoke Greek because. He yeah, conversed with Pontius Pilate, yeah. and I doubt Pontius Pilate knew Hebrew yeah. uh, or Aramaic. He, he, as a Roman uh, pontiff, he, he probably uh, or governor, he probably would have known Latin and Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, Greek being the economic universal language of the marketplace, and certainly Roman soldiers would have would have known Greek because they're they're per, they're policing the streets of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And if 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 you were a Jewish person. Uh, how else would you listen to the command of a um, centurion telling you to stop or telling you to drop your weapons or tr- or whatever? And the, the, the Roman's not going to talk to you right. in Hebrew or Aramaic. He's going to talk to you in Greek. Right. He would know Latin and Greek. And so I bet you Jesus knew three languages, yeah, and he learned those languages. And, and I think also it's important to say that this helps to explain some things that Jesus says that he did not know. Right, yes. so it can be it can be easy for Christians to get tripped up um, in conversations with friends who do not hold to the divinity of Christ, for example, yes. who say, you know, hey, Jesus didn't know the day or the hour of the the Father's return in Matthew twenty four, right? How do we how do we deal with that? Um, well, this is one of the ways that we do deal with it, right? So we say that Jesus, in his divine nature, is is has all of the attributes of the divine nature, right? The the, the communication of, of attributes, the communicato mm-hmm. idiomatum, right? So mm-hmm. Jesus in taking on 
uh, flesh in covenanting to do that to save humanity does not lose any of his divine nature, no. any of his omniscience or or omnipotence, any of the omni attributes, right? Yeah. He, he doesn't lose any of them. He's all knowing, right? So then how can he say he doesn't know the day or the hour of his return, right? Mm. And so here, with respect to his human nature, he doesn't, right? He, he you could say he veils some yeah. of his glory within his human nature. That's that humiliation piece that we talked about. He's yeah. not, when he's walking down the streets of Jerusalem, he's not glowing, right? Like, and he could have. He, he Sure, he could have. Because he did show himself temporarily yeah, in at the, the Mount of Transfiguration. That's exactly right. In Matthew 17, it says, yes. Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain by themselves with Jesus, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Exactly, that, exactly. He wouldn't be able to walk around Jerusalem doing all that and fulfilling his mission. Right, that's exactly right. So what he does is he veils his glory yeah. uh, in, in, in human nature. And so with respect to his human nature, he didn't know the day or the hour of his return. That's right. With respect to his divine nature, he did, right? But he can veil his glory at yeah. times as he takes on humanity. And that gives us, I think, biblically faithful and and uh, coherent categories to to place some of those more challenging passages when yeah. we're asked about them. Yeah. And even like the omnipresence, like always present kind of thing, yeah. right? That one's difficult in some ways, but... Just understand this is that um, we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and, and is in His glorified body, fully God and fully man. Um, so how is He present amongst? How is He omnipresent? And I would say through His Spirit. I say because He even says, "I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Like, and it's the Spirit of Christ that is with us and indwells us, and and uh, and there. So so again, the divine nature is not lost. Correct. Um, Yet one person. And yet one person. So in one sense, Christ knows. In one sense, he doesn't know, right? In one sense, he is omnipresent. In one sense, he is not, right? So it, it, it really just depends on within this one person, which nature the author of the gospel, you know, passage or the passage in question mm -hmm. has in view. Yeah. Um, so, but it, at least again, it, it gives us proper categories to start thinking through these things in ways that are exegetically faithful. I yeah. Think. Absolutely. Mm. And he certainly didn't stop being God. He didn't. Uh, he was forgiving sin. Yeah. And only God can forgive sin. Yeah. As the Pharisees pointed out. Even and in flesh. Even, even in flesh, he, he forgave had, sin. that human nature, he forgave That's sin. That's right. He, he healed people. He raised the dead, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is very powerful, of course. And uh, he certainly claimed it. Um, and in fact, uh, in John 17, when he's praying this high priestly prayer, it's beautiful that... At the very beginning of that prayer, in John 17, 3, uh, actually 17, 3 and 4, here's what he says. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Yeah. So he, so he's asking for the Father to glorify him in the, in, with the same glory that he once had. Hmm prior to the world even existed, hmm. prior to creation. And so that shows us that, yeah, Jesus existed in glory. He humbles himself, enters into his own creation, takes upon human flesh, pays for the sins of his people, and is glorified 
now with the glory that he had before. Yeah. You know, Amen. and this time in a, in a as the God man and, yeah. and with the with in a body of glory, in a body as, in, of glory. As, as, as first fruits, as Paul puts it in First as Corinthians first 15, That's that right. we will then part, that we also will then have that same body of glory and resurrection. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really exciting to to look forward to and anticipate. Yeah. Um, and it just shows like, just reflect, if, if you're out there, if you're listening and, you know, uh, as a Christian brother or sister and you're finding this in any way beneficial, just reflect on, on Christmas about how meaningful you are to God, that Christ would come and, and take on human flesh, mm-hmm. that he would humiliate himself, take on a cross, that he might pay for our sins. Think about how much that means God cares about us yeah. and God loves us to do that. Um, it's it is absolutely astonishing, and it is in these two natures, not admixed, not confused, distinct yet in one person, in this hypostatic union, that we can all the more glory, uh, give glory to God, give glory to God in Christ Jesus for who He was, what He accomplished for us, and that He could only have done that if He has these two unconfused natures. That's right. Right, so yeah. th- there would be no other way for him to do it. So praise God for these two natures, <laughs> um, and it's it's just a marvelous thing uh, to to reflect on how um, how much God loves us to yeah. to do that for us. Yeah. yeah, Amen. Amen. Well, let's move on to our next There's segment. A lot we could say show. on that. But ton- you, yeah, yeah, exactly. We we got to come back to that one. And I'm sure I don't know. Maybe we'll get some questions. Yeah, on that send one. us some questions send about some this. Questions because yeah. it's we're 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 teachable, and if if we step on it, you know, please forgive us. But uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. definitely definitely send some questions if you have them or some feedback. We'd love that. Yeah. In the meantime, we have proverb of the day. Proverb of the day. Proverb of the day. Proverb of the day. I can't sing. All right. It's my turn, I guess, huh, to be in the hot seat. Sir Eric. <laughs> oh, but night now. You're a night now. <laughs> you, so, Eric, you are on the hot seat. All right. All today, right. we are going to be looking at Proverbs, and we're going to be looking at Proverb chapter 8. Mm. And we're going to be looking at a couple of different verses. I actually want Ooh. to read from verses 22 to 31. It's a big chunk. Oh my. You don't have to go line by line, but but it is it's it's a chunk that I think uh, hangs together. So All right. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man." Mm. Well, thank you, Dylan, for eight <laughs> verses or however many that is. You need it. You need This will cover ball. me for the next six yeah, exactly. months. I think, I think so. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, okay. Uh, you're right. I can't go through this line by line, or we'll be here all day. Uh, but I mean, it's 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 talking about the same. So, who is this person talking? Right. So, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, and I, I think to look at the first portion of this text. We have to go back to, let's say, um, 
verse 12. Because the verse 12 um, actually identifies the the person who's speaking, right? I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. And, and goes on, I do these things. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule. Um, I love those who love me and, and those who seek me diligently find me. So I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of, of justice. So uh, we do see this personification of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this idea of personifying an attribute is not unheard of. I mean... Uh, humans do it all the time in our stories, but but wisdom in this particular proverb is being is being spoken of as a person, and uh, and this person is we see this this wisdom this person is at the beginning um, before the earth was formed and was there with God uh, as He made uh, the earth and and all these things and and wisdom is the delight. Uh, of God, uh, rejoicing before him always and rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So, so the question is, why is the author of Proverbs personifying wisdom? And is this, is this just a personification of an attribute or is there something more to this? That's the question. That's the question, (laughs) right? And, uh, I want to give the old, what say you, sir? (laughs) I want to say yes okay. to all of it. No, <laughs> to all of it. It is the personification of an attribute, but it's also more than that. And I do think that an argument could be made that this is a, a pointing to the pre-incarnate Son of God. Okay. The, a pointing to Jesus. Okay. A pointing to the Son of God. Um, and I do want to be careful, of course, though, uh, yeah, uh, you know, so uh, because it doesn't explicitly say that this is uh, the Messiah, but well, what we I think I want to I don't want to get too lofty here, yeah, yeah. but if I go to John one, mm-hmm. right, we say in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And I know there's much that could be said about the concept of the Word mm-hmm. or the Logos. Um, I know that Greeks who would have read that would have been tempted to say, oh, I know what logos means. That's a Greek concept of, you know, the word, this this philosophical concept of, uh, of divine creation, right? And it's, of course, much more than that. But I think there's an argument that can be said that, yeah, there's this concept of the divine word, this the, the speaking, uh, God speaking, and that Jesus is the word, incarnate but the bible is also the word so how does that line up like how is divine communication Hmm. uh and particularly the use of words how does that point to jesus he's the epitome of the word and i would say the same thing could be said regarding wisdom Hmm. like um there is a concept of wisdom and as humans we pursue wisdom we want to have wisdom solomon asked for wisdom right and he possessed wisdom but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and true wisdom is only found in the Lord. And I would then argue then that Jesus himself is the epitome, the pinnacle of divine wisdom. He is wisdom, right? In that way. And so I guess in that way, you could say that Proverbs 8 
is speaking of the wisdom of God, and Jesus is that, is the uh, the pinnacle of that wisdom. Mm. Par none, he is wisdom, mm. if you if you will. Mm. I try to throw him a curveball. It was a hard one. And he knocks it. Well, he knocks it out the box. Yeah. Well. <laughs> no, I think that, I, brother, I, I think that's, I, I share your interpretation of the passage. I think okay. that's exactly right. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm sweating over here, man. You made me work on that one. I didn't know that was coming. I was like, you was wait next time, man. I'm going to get you a good know, one right? You're going to give me a good one next, next time. I'll, I will pay for that, I'm sure. No, no, but thank you. Yeah. i got to work on my Proverbs interpretation and my Greek pronunciation. Those are my takeaways today. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, listen, this has been Two Guys in a Bible. Um, please, please do feel free to reach out. Twoguysinabible.podcast at gmail.com. All of these are the number two. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Two Guys in a Bible, Facebook.com forward slash Two Guys in a Bible or twoguysinabible.org. Uh, again, my name is Dylan Keniston. I'm, I'm here today with my co-host, Eric Leupold. It has been a pleasure, yeah. Sir Eric, to walk through Scripture with yeah. you. And please subscribe and rate us as please well on iTunes. Or whatever. We, we love honest ratings yeah. that are positive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that are only positive. No, I'm just kidding. We love honesty. Uh, so yes, uh, and do have a Merry Christmas yeah. to all, and to all a good night. Good night. All right, God bless you all. Take care.